Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. So this is always a point in the service where I want to ask, uh, did all you people who came for the baptism realize you had to sit through the sermon? <laughs> it's just always such a disappointing moment. You're like, oh, it's at the end? Oh. We've been talking about what it means to be uh, people who practice a gracious kind of living. And thinking about the Sermon on the Mount sort of as the finishing school for Christians and this uh, ability and opportunity to leave. And so there's this thing that's happening in the Sermon on the Mount, which is describing kingdom life and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And then as Matthew continues his stories, we get to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, a, a lot of things happen. And they're pretty significant. And it starts out with John the Baptist and a story about John the Baptist, and we sort of get an update, and it happens uh, right at the beginning, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, that's an interesting sort of exchange that goes on. The first part's not all that surprising. What's going on is that John has been thrown in prison, John the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Christ, uh, has been thrown in prison. And so he sends a message to Jesus to say, hey, listen, things aren't going that well for me. So what I assumed would be happening when you came as Messiah is that there would be a prison break. What I assumed is there would be an overthrow of the government. What I assumed is there would be some cataclysmic change and injustices would be righted and everything would be fixed. But it turns out here I am stuck in prison. And so here's my question. <laughs> Are you the one or should we expect someone else? I mean, that's a very human response, isn't it? I mean, for most of us, we go through periods of time in our life when, when things are not going well, and we immediately question the kingdom and the nature of God. You know, who are you, and what are you doing, and why am I stuck in the situation and the circumstance that I'm in? And so John expresses really what a lot of us feel, and, and What's interesting to me is I hear people say, well, the Bible's propaganda, you know, I mean, so whoever put this book together, they put it together in such a way as, you know, that it just sort of, it assumes that you're going to believe. And I'm always like, well, this is a story I wouldn't have put in. <laughs> I wouldn't have had the forerunner of Christ questioning the messianic nature of Jesus. I just wouldn't have put that one in. It would seem distracting from the overall theme, <laughs> except it's exactly how we behave, isn't it? And John's just being very human. Whatever the prophetic nature of John's life, the fact is, is right now it's not going well. He's stuck in prison and he's saying, hey, what's the deal? What is surprising is Jesus' answer. Go tell John that the lame walk, that the blind receive sight, that leprosy is being cleansed, that the dead are being raised, and the poor are being given the gospel. In other words, go tell John that the big things that he expects may not be happening, but the small things are happening. And that's a principle of the kingdom. 
It's a principle that, 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 that I would like for God to do cataclysmic things in my life. I'd like for him to fix everything. <laughs> I'd like to pray a few prayers about what I believe needs to be changed and fixed in my life, in my world. And then I'd like for him to just fix it. I don't really care, lightning, thunder, uh, whatever. <laughs> but it doesn't seem like that's the nature of the kingdom. Even Elijah, as he's held out in the cave, he, he wants God to show up in the earthquake and the wind and the fire, but God doesn't show up in the earthquake and the wind and the fire. He shows up in a gentle whisper <laughs> that there's something about the kingdom that is a gracious kind of spirituality that, in fact, it's not always a big thing, but it is very often a small thing. And Jesus, in this course of teaching in chapter 11, he wants us to understand that it is a small thing. In fact, as he goes on and he begins to talk at verse 11, he says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So he goes along and he asks them, you know, why, what did you go out to see when you went to see John the Baptist? John the Baptist is a celebrity. He, arguably in the first century, he is the, he, he is the largest presence in the nation of Israel. I mean, he's... He's the whole thing. In fact, if you read the story carefully, everybody doing okay, by the way? Yeah. Glad you're here. Welcome. Got some folks joining us on the live stream, and we're glad that you're all here, and the room is packed out, and that's a great thing. We're going to baptize some folks in a minute. We're just thinking about this reality, that John is probably the biggest celebrity of his day. In fact, if you really think about it, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they're not really afraid of Jesus, but they're terrified of John. John has power. He has a popular following. And, and so now Jesus looks at the crowd and says to them, so why did you go out to the wilderness to see John? And they have a conversation about what they were expecting and who they thought he was. And then he looks at the crowd and he says, I want to tell you this. Though John is the greatest of people who have been born among women, any one of you who is a part of the kingdom is greater than he. That's a weird thing to say. But it is part of the teaching in this section in which he's saying, listen, you think the kingdom is this big thing. You think it's about celebrity and popularity and cataclysmic things, but I'm telling you, it isn't about that. It's about those, and he's already told us in chapter 5, it's about those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are peacemakers. That's what it's about. It's about you and I living out this little kingdom. It's not about, and, and I don't know if, if you're starting to sense where this is going, but I don't like where it's going. Because what I would like to say and what I'd like to believe is that God is constantly intervening and fixing everything. But what Jesus is saying is, I want you to go be the kingdom. I want you to go be salt, and I want you to go be light. I want you to go take the hope of the kingdom wherever you go. The kingdom is not coming in from out there. It's coming from in here. You go be a citizen of the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but I would rather God fix everything than ask me to be responsible to be a part of the kingdom of God. But whoever is a part of the kingdom of God is greater than he. Then he goes on to say these words. Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Just one more piece of that information that's coming down. 
It's not about how wise you are. It's not about how deep you are. It's not about how theologically astute you are. In fact, he's revealed the truth of the kingdom to little children. I don't know about you, but, but it seems to me, when I look at my own children and now grandchildren, that I can easily say to them, you know how life would work better is if you would do these things. Anybody else have a list like that for your children? Hey, here's the deal. If you'll do these things, our home will be happier. You know, I mean, there's the basics. Don't hit. Don't take things that don't belong to you. You know, put things back where you found them. Uh, Do whatever your dad says. You know, just the basics. (laughs) But I think it's kind of interesting because we all all know as grown-ups that we can say to our kids, you know what? What you're doing is not contributing to the overall well-being of our home and family. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying every one of us knows that there are things that we could do that would make things better. Life better. Relationships better. Our home better. Our marriage better. Our relationship with our kids better. Our relationship with our parents better. Our relationships with our friends better. He didn't reveal it to the wise because we get sophisticated beyond wisdom, don't we? We get all up in ourselves and in our own wisdom, and we just like, if these people would figure it out, then everything would work out. And he's just saying, whoa, no, no, no. Why don't you become, whoever wants to be greatest in kingdom must be the servant of all. When the disciples asked who's the greatest in the kingdom, he took a child and stood him in front and said, unless you change and become like this child, you can never experience the kingdom of heaven. And so it's this idea of big spirituality and little spirituality. And we all desire big spirituality, but Jesus practiced a gracious kind of small spirituality that had to do with walking. 11.28 now as the chapter concludes. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not difficult to find this kingdom. If you're weary, if you're heavy burdened, come. Because the nature of God is that he's meek and humble in heart. And you'll find rest unto your soul. In the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, Jesus is entering into this teaching. And the teaching piece is centered around what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And so as an introduction into this little section about when you pray, this is what I want you to pray about, and this is what I want you to pray for, and this is what I want you to avoid. He's going to talk about this contrast, big spirituality versus little spirituality, big spirituality versus gracious spirituality. And he's going to introduce the whole thing by saying, do not be like the hypocrites. Uh, There's this word we use when we study languages called transliteration. Transliteration is a a thing that happens in languages, and you know it, you experience it. and That is, some words are the same no matter what language they're in. You notice that? We just, we just take them. We don't even try to change them. We don't change the vocabulary. We just move them over into the new language. One of those words is hypocrite. Hypocritos is what it says in Greek, but we just took it and we just changed the letters into, Greek, or into English, and we just, now we say hypocrites. It's the same word. It means a little actor. It means an actor. And Jesus graciously at the introduction says, do not be like the hypocrites. It seems to me he would have logically said, do not be a hypocrite. But that's not what he said. He said, do not be like the hypocrites. I think that's significant. Because to be an actor means you're taking on a role. We all are actors, are we not? 
Thank goodness. <laughs> I mean, I mean, have you ever met somebody who is always their real, whole, raw self? That'll wear you out. I mean, isn't there an appropriate level of decorum? I mean, isn't there an appropriate level of acting, an appropriate level in which we put on our better self to go out and to be in certain situations? Amen? Amen. So Jesus doesn't mean don't ever, you know, have some sort of uh, decorum and appropriate behavior. That's not what he's saying. But do not be like the hypocrites who have decided to play a role and are content in playing a role and are play acting all the time particularly when it comes to their spirituality. Instead, practice a different kind of spirituality. This is what he says, chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think if you had a contrast here, it'd be between big spirituality and gracious spirituality. He says, you know, a big spirituality prays to be seen. A big spirituality shows up in spiritual places doing spiritual things in order to look spiritual. And maybe we don't want to do that. A gracious spirituality then prays in private. It's a different kind of relationship. It's a different kind of motivation for praying. A big spirituality uses a lot of words. A little spirituality has a, a gracious spirituality has a sense of connectedness to God, a confident kind of connectedness. Last week, uh, Colton preached for us, our high school pastor. How many of you were here heard Colton preach last week? Good. And uh, if you were here, uh, he preached 20 minutes. careful. <laughs> so uh, every Tuesday morning we do, a, uh, we do an eval with our staff. So we, uh, you know, we eval the weekends. And so we sat around the table and we're saying, how'd it go last weekend? And we're like, yeah, it's great. Cole did a great job. You know, he only preached 20 minutes, right? <laughs> and it turned out that we weren't really evaluating Colton. Turned out we were sort of evaluating someone else. <laughs> and then I'd already written this sermon, so it had this point in it. Big spirituality uses a lot of words. <laughs> but it's too late. <laughs> 
this reality that, that big spirituality tends to, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't like it when someone, you know, preaches or prays and they have a different voice. Isn't that weird to, is that weird to you? It's weird to me. I mean, I, ho- I hope that I sound the same when we're outside talking about something else that I sound when I'm up here. Because wouldn't it be weird, you know, if you walk in and then I say, And God said, bless thou people, now rise together and let's love one another. I don't know, it seems odd to me. And I think it's what Jesus is talking about. He's such a practical, he's saying, listen, you go down to the temple and then suddenly somebody gets up and they're just a normal person. But now they're just like, they go into this routine of praying and, and they're, you know, they have thin, it just goes on and on and don't be like that. Don't play act at spirituality. That's what big spirituality does. Gracious spirituality goes and talks to God in a confident way somewhere in a private place because it's not about what it looks like. It's about inviting God to help. And then big spirituality has a lot of drama. But gracious spirituality has no drama. That's a whole sermon, isn't it? I mean, what if we just said God desires a spirituality that does not include drama? I mean, what would that look like in our homes and families? I mean, we might just have a sign. It just says, whoa, (laughs) that's a little too much drama. (laughs) Because we're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We're poor in spirit. We mourn our responsibility. We practice meekness. He's already told us what the behaviors are. And now he's saying, so that when you pray. So now he just tells us this. It's a gracious humility. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's a gracious humility. I'm not in charge. I'm not running the world. It's not my thing. It's God's thing. And I acknowledge it and I understand it. And I pray it right at the beginning of the prayer. Because I have a tendency to forget and to believe that it is my life. And it is my story. And it is my world. And if I'm very honest, what I really want God to do is bless my story I'm not all that interested in showing up in his. Amen? And so he says right at the beginning, you want a gracious spirituality? Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. It's a gracious kind of humility. Number two, it's a gracious kind of focus. Just this reality, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a good one to pray at the beginning. Emotionally, I want God to have my kingdom come and my will be done. It's a constant battle. Maybe just me, but I always want God to do what I need him to do. I always want God to fix what I need him to fix, to be concerned about what I'm concerned with, to address it in the way I would like. I'm like John. Are you the one or should we expect someone else? Because I'm still in prison and that's not where I want to hang out. I want there to be a prison break, a cataclysmic change. I want the government to fall. I want there to be new justice. I want everything to be fixed. (laughs) Go tell John. The lame walk, the blind see, the poor receive the gospel. It's not about this. It's about are you contributing every day to the life of the kingdom? Because the kingdom is born down in this place. And so it's a gracious kind of focus. It's a gracious kind of trust. Give us today our daily bread. Did you ever imagine when you would have it together? When you were growing up, did you think, by the time I'm 40, I'll have it together? Did anybody think that? By the time I'm 30, I'll have it together. 
Nobody had a number like that? Some of you thought that? I don't really know that I had a number, but I will say this. I thought by now I would have it together. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm past due. <laughs> but Jesus puts it right in the prayer because this is what he's saying. Give us our daily bread. I'm always going to need some things. There's always going to be a part of my life that is unfulfilled, and there's a place where I really need help. And so he makes it this very basic thing. Give me bread. And I don't know what you would put in that blank today, but it's a prayer of gracious trust. I trust you to provide for the need of my life. Give me this daily bread. It's a gracious repentance. And forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. I, I don't know about you, but this is one of those reminders about the small spirituality, the gracious spirituality that says I live in a repentant place. It's so easy for us to start to think I'm right and other people are wrong. I, I got it fixed and they didn't. I wish they would see how they're messing it up. And Jesus says, just says, hey, right up front. <laughs> Every day you pray, pray this way. Forgive me for the mess I made, even as I forgive other people for the mess they made. I love the translation that says, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I grew up in Texas. Hold for applause to wait a long time for someone to feel good about that. <laughs> yeah, bless your heart. Thank you. That's a southern fella right there. Southern fellows know when you say bless your heart, that is not a good thing. That is a nice way of saying you are messed up. But where I was growing up, we had signs, and signs said things like this, no trespassing. And if that didn't get your attention, there was another sign that said, trespassers will be shot on sight. Uh, there aren't very many people that I know growing up that uh, haven't, you know, climbed a fence or two and heard a shotgun blast or two. You get far enough down into East Texas, they put rock salt in those shotgun shells, so... That'll light you up, <laughs> ruin your whole day, week, month, year. But I like that imagery, don't you? It's like you're going to wander into people's sacred space and they're not going to want you there. Forgive us of our trespasses. And they're going to wander into your space and they're going to step on stuff and mess stuff up and you're not going to like it. And we're going to forgive those who trespass against us because we're going to wander into each other's sacred space and we're going to step on things and break things and mess things up. And it is the nature of a gracious spirituality that says, listen, I need forgiveness. I live in a repentant attitude and I need to be forgiving of others because it matters. It makes a difference. It is salt and light. And then it's a gracious vulnerability. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're very vulnerable people, aren't we? I mean, you don't have to, on a scale of 1 to 10, how fragile are your moods? Yeah, you don't, you know. We, we had a wedding this weekend. My oldest daughter got married Friday night, so that was good. Yeah. And uh, this is weird. This is really weird because normally in our house, we don't have like tons and tons of sugar. 
We always have some sugar, but we don't have tons and tons. But right now, we have a ton of sugar in our house. We, we have multiple kinds of cake in our house right now. How many of you have more than one kind of cake in your house right now? See, it is not normal. It's not normal. Somebody over there raise their hand. God bless you. That's a good thing. So how weird is it that you have like multiple cakes in your house? Multiple cakes. There are more than one. There are more than two kinds of cake in our house right now, which means you're obligated to have some of all of them. And I don't know if you know this, but if you eat cake, it makes you crazy. It makes your grandchildren crazy. It affects your mood. We are that vulnerable. And it is instantaneous. It is like a drug. I can just give my grandson one bite. He can see the fork. And he is already weirding out. I mean... And it's not just the kids. It's all of us. We're vulnerable like that. And so Jesus puts it right in the prayer. He just says, listen, you are some fragile, fragile folks. If you eat cake, you might get weird. If you don't eat cake, you might get weird. If you don't have coffee, you might get weird. I mean, you are fragile. Your mood is dictated by such weird things. You had pizza before you went to bed. You are in a bad mood. Or you had pizza before you went to bed. You're in a great mood. But we're vulnerable, aren't we? And so he invites us into this space. If we haven't gotten the message, then he gives us this little story over in Matthew 13, and we're finished. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of all the seed, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it was worked all through the dough. I don't know who makes 60 pounds of dough. And I think Jesus is being funny. (laughs) And he says, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's not about a big spirituality. It's not about these cataclysmic things. It's like yeast. And even though it's a tiny little bit that's going into this massive amount of dough, the fact is, as you and I live the kingdom principle, it affects the things around us. In fact, they rise and they rise and they rise And they rise. And you and I, we're waiting for God to do this big thing. And he's saying to every one of us, you go be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You go live a gracious spirituality that infects your home. And it affects your friendships. And it affects your families. And you practice a gracious spirituality that changes the world from the inside out. And that's the invitation. So as we celebrate this closing moment of baptism, I want you to think of the symbolism. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, though it's the smallest in the kingdom. When it is planted, it grows into a great tree that gives shelter to the birds of the air. And we're going to celebrate that symbol in that moment together. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks. Would you allow us and teach us what it means to practice a gracious spirituality? One that infects us at the most organic levels of our lives. In which we rely on you and invite you to give us strength and wisdom and to help us to understand and to have the power to live a kingdom life. But also remind us that we are responsible 
that you've invited us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, to live in a gracious way so that our story, our life, our demeanor, our disposition changes the tone of our home and of our family and of our relationships and our friendships and the places where we work, go to school, live. And so we're inviting you into these closing moments and we ask you to lead us and teach us a gracious spirituality. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.